Hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 2 of the All Rise podcast, produced by Gonzaga University School of Law. I'm your host, Ryan McNeese. I'm a proud alumnus of GU Law, where I obtained my Juris Doctorate and MBA. I'm a lawyer and business owner in the Spokane community. In this season of the All Rise podcast, we are reflecting on the theme of Go Forth, inspired by the St. Ignatius of Loyola quote, Go Forth and Set the World on Fire. However, during the recording of many of these episodes, we weren't going very far physically because of safety measures in light of the COVID-19 pandemic. Regardless, we felt that now, more than ever, we needed to connect with our community. Many of these interviews were recorded using Zoom and similar technology, and we apologize for the audio quality. In this episode, our Gonzaga Law Marketing Manager, Chantel Costner, sits down with alumnus and member of the Gonzaga Law Board of Advisors, Catherine Clark, to talk about forgiveness during challenging times, as well as the impact that mentorship can have on us, no matter our background. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned and stay with us. I was born in New York City. My father attended Whitman um, College in Walla Walla and was a drama major. And then he went to Yale and did graduate work at Yale and then was in New York City as a model and actor and met my mom. And I showed up, my brother showed up and off to Eastern Washington we went, which is where my father was from. And my family comes from Yakima. Uh, my grandfather, Cecil, was born in Yakima in 1896. And I went to St. Paul's Elementary School in Yakima. And then we moved to Spokane in 1977. And I went to Gonzaga Prep, where I was part of the second class of women to attend Gonzaga Prep. And then I went to the University of Washington on a swimming scholarship, athletic scholarship, which was really important to me because... I was that kid who was always picked last for every single sporting event ever in like elementary school and middle school and high school. I was terrible. And the reason I was terrible is I don't have hand-eye coordination because I am dyslexic and I don't see things the way that other people see things. I invert numbers. I invert words. I do all kinds of things. And so as a young person, I was terrible at, um, standardized tests. I did very poorly. In those days, they were different than they are now. But And I didn't really realize it. And so I went to, I took the LSAT and I bombed it. <laughs> no mistake about it, I bombed it. And I was like, oh, I'm never going to law school. And so in those days, or when we moved to Spokane, I moved next, our family moved next door to a guy named Professor John Maury Maurice. And I met him and Rock when I was 13 years old. And he was a professor and he and my mother became great friends. And I was upset about how I had um, done so poorly on the LSAT. And in those days, you know, they didn't give you extra time if you had some kind of reading disability or anything like that. You just kind of had to deal with it and move on. And I thought that maybe I wouldn't be a lawyer. And in those days at Gonzaga, they had a um, conditional admissions program. And if you met enough of the criteria and you had like one little dip on or ding on your application, they'd say, okay, give us this provisional class and see how you do. So Professor Maurice um, offered that to me and I took it and I got in much to my great surprise. Uh, It was contracts and I got the B that was necessary and off I went. So that was why Gonzaga, I'm sure Gonzaga picked me before I picked it. And I'm so glad that it did. Uh, because it's turned out to be just a wonderful career for me. Why the law is a separate question. Um, 
as I said, my family is from Yakima. My grandfather was born in, uh, in Yakima at a place where there's now a fast food joint, but there used to be a house there. Um, and he attended Davis High School where he met a guy named William O. Douglas in high school. And we all know who he was. He was also, however, my grandfather's lifelong best friend. And they maintained a close friendship, even though my grandfather was a Republican and obviously Justice Douglas had more liberal views. And Bill Douglas Jr. was my father's college roommate. This is the closeness between our families. And I grew up in the shadow of a Supreme Court justice. And my grandfather, during the court holiday in August at my grandfather and grandmother's cabin in Cliffdale, Washington, which is at Highway 410, not far from Whistling Jack, would the justice would be at the house and my grandfather would throw everybody out of the house, say everybody out of the house, the justice is conducting national business. And he would. And the, the, what was sort of interesting about what was going on was my grandfather had the closest telephone to the Justice Douglas in his place of, in Goose Prairie, which is three or four doors, um, 410 side of Willie's, a very famous place. And the Supreme Court would call my grandparents and say, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Clark, we need to speak to Justice Douglas. Would you go get him? <laughs> and so we would all dutifully hop into the car and drive up to Goose Prairie. And um, my grandfather would say to uh, Justice Douglas, Bill, they need you in Washington. You need to come down to the house. So he would get back in. We'd all trundle back down to my grandparents' house. Then we'd all get thrown out. And the Justice Douglas would do whatever business was necessary with the court, dictating um, opinions and memos and whatever to his um, secretary, who at the time took um, shorthand, a very lost art and one a talent I wish I had. The funny part about the story is that my grandparents were on a party line into Cliftdale. And if you don't know what a party line is, that means that's one phone line into a village or a smaller community of people that everybody has access to. And I know this because my brother and I used to pick up the phone and listen to people talk about recipes and everything else, thinking we were getting away with something not right. Um, so in this day and age, the notion that a Supreme Court justice would be on the phone to the United States Supreme Court on a party line, everyone, when I tell this story, people are quite shocked, but also um, amazed at the level of trust because everybody had such respect for everybody else's privacy in this space. So... When you grow up in the shadow of a Supreme Court justice and you know that he's up to all kinds of great things, and then you move next door to John Maury Maurice when you're 13, um, that's the universe, God, whoever, telling you that, hey, maybe we should take a look at this. So that's why the law. Yeah, that's a pretty unique and special story to have such a close connection with so many well-known and well-respected individuals who practiced while, you know, while you were a child. I think that yeah. that really, I mean, I can't imagine that not influencing a person. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, as I reflect back on it now, I, I think, wow, you know, my life is so privileged in so many ways and what a great blessing it has been. And that, those two men certainly are it, you know, and, and when I was young, most of my mentors were, uh, were men because women weren't in those positions just yet. It's certainly changed over the years, but when I was young, that's who you look to. And I was told by all of these people that I could do it, even though I was a woman and, or a girl. And, you know, here it is in the seventies and, um, you're getting told that it was a great message to receive as a young person, particularly in those times. That is a, a really good point. It's just the 
environment and landscape of law education has shifted a lot in just the last 25, 30 years. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a lot harder for people to get into law school. And I I look at what the requirements are that um, young people must achieve in order to get into law school. And I think I'm not sure I could achieve it. Um, It's, and, but again, um, it's upping the standards, which must in, in turn, I think ups the practice and that can only be a good thing. Absolutely. So you came to Gonzaga and then you had a really um, life-changing moment during that time. Would you like to share that with us? Um, Well, two things happened. Um, I got a Supreme Court clerkship at the end of my second year, which was um, at the end of 1990, you know, June 1990. I got a job with Justice Bracken back at the state Supreme Court. I had applied for that job and like 400 other people had applied for it. And I got a phone call from Justice Bracton back while I was clerking at Division Three of the Court of Appeals. And he was calling me and I thought, oh Lord, <laughs> this can't be good. Why is the justice calling me? And there was a family connection there in that Justice Bracton back used to be the family lawyer. And I thought, oh, he's, my grandfather had passed, gosh, 11 in 1979. So my grandparents were long gone and my parents didn't live in Washington state anymore. And I just thought he's calling to tell me I didn't get the job because out of respect for the longtime family connection, that's not what he said. (laughs) What he said was, um, you know, Catherine, we're looking here, Bob Brackton back here. We're looking at your application here. And I'm like, oh God. We see the letter from Dean Lou Orland, who, and Dean Orland wrote me a beautiful letter. I, it, I, I have a copy of it, and it is just such a, a precious gift. It's in one of, my, um, one of my storage places where I keep my precious gifts. And he said, but we're looking here at your transcript from University of Washington. Like, oh, now I'm into trouble. Now I'm really done is what I'm thinking, right? Just kind of terrified at the whole thing. And he says, we see here that you took a class called the History of European Witchcraft because I was a history major at the University of Washington. And I thought, oh, I did take that class. And I remember um, somebody that I knew from Yakima, who was also at the University of Washington, who told me that I was wasting my time with that class because that class would never, ever help me get a a job anywhere. And this person was a business major. And I got a 4.0 in this class. And it wasn't a how to practice witchcraft class. It was really a a study of something called the Malayas Malapakaram, which is a medieval witch hunting manual, which is actually a legal book. That's a tome, you know, about how to go and decide who's a witch. And also about the, um, uh, what happens with uh, gang mentality and what can happen when people get so fearful. And so I got a 4.0 in the class. So Justice Brackenback says to me, he goes, we see you took this class and we see you got a 4.0 in that class. And I said, yes, I did, Your Honor. And he says to me, well, Catherine, we figured that anybody who got a grade like that in a class like that needs to be in our chambers. The clerkship is yours if you want it. And I, of course, said, oh, yes, Your Honor, and what a great honor it would be and blah, 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 blah. After the phone call ended, I screamed bloody murder in Division Three, <laughs> where everyone was excited that I'd gotten this clerkship. I was fortunate to have that because my mother passed away six months later uh, in January of my third year. And when you suffer a loss that, when you're doing something as challenging as law school is, um, it really affected me in a particular way that I'm probably, I don't think you ever get over the loss of a parent or a loved one. What it does is the wound softens just a little bit so it doesn't become this overwhelming thing. I went and 
you know, after my mother passed, I was out of school for almost three weeks. I came back and I just, I walked around in a daze for, oh, I don't know, all the way to finals. And when I got to finals, I sat down to study and I opened up my books with all my notes in them, all my notebooks and didn't remember writing any of it down. I'm thinking, oh no, I don't remember any of this. Um, so I put it all literally in the hands of God and said, well, gosh, I hope I can pass all of these. And I passed everything and, and graduated Gonzaga Law School. But in that year, in that nine months, I got a clerkship and my mother died. So yeah, I had two really um, life-changing events that happened in law school. It was difficult, no doubt. Yeah, I think it's, um, I feel like there's a lot of students right now as we're putting together this podcast who are suffering the loss of family members or who far who are far away from family members who are maybe um, lonely because of the isolation. And I think that your, your points are very powerful right now because they speak to a lot of heaviness that I think weighs on students during this time. You know, it's... Um that's a really good point. And for me and dealing with the isolation, I am, I go to work because somebody has to grab the mail. And so I'm grabbing the mail. I'm the only one in the office for a few hours a day. Um, my significant other Mark is working at home. His offices are closed. And I have noticed for me, uh, I'm an introvert, despite what it might sound like. Um, it hasn't been a huge change. Um, I, because I spend most of my work days on the phone or on the computer and I'm thinking and I'm writing and I'm crafting and I'm doing those things. So I need the quiet time. What I do miss, of course, are my friends. Um, I miss going to my local watering hole where we have friends. Um, but, you know, when you suffer a loss of a loved one, say to this particular um, scourge, that is, a, I think, a modern day plague. And it's certainly in the tradition of the Old Testament. Uh, we have to reflect on why is it that we're here? And what are we supposed to do in the wake of this grief? Uh, there is huge loss going on for students right now. All of us, certainly, but for students and seniors and, you know, anybody who's associated with our basketball team, which would have clearly won the national championship. And in my view, Gonzaga was the national champion as far as we're concerned for 2020. There is no intelligent debate on the subject. But when you do suffer that loss, what you have to think of is the person that you have lost. And what would they say to you if they were here with you? And what they would say to you is buck up. And yes, it's okay to be upset for a little while, but it's not okay to let the upsetness take over your life. And it's not okay to let that upsetness stop you from your path and your chosen path and the one that you are called to. It's not okay. It's difficult. I admit, um, so in January 2017, I suffered another loss that we've talked about, Chantel. Uh, my brother was murdered in New York City on January 24th. Um, that was a Tuesday night, and I was over at the University of Washington working with some young students of color and trying to introduce them to the law school environment over there, trying to encourage them to go to law school. I, you know, I don't pick a particular law school, although I certainly endorse Gonzaga, that's for sure. And I was with them. And I went home and woke up the next morning to a phone call from my father to explain that um, he had been um, shot in what appeared to be and turned out to be an employment dispute. 
And I have to tell you that while it was difficult to lose my mother during my third year of law school, it was a shattering event to hear something like that. And I fell on the floor and my life changed in that moment. What was also difficult for me was when I came around in a couple of days, I um, realized that the story of my brother's death was already on the internet before I knew. And it had hit the New York papers, the New York Post and, and the Staten Island Live, which was another news source in New, in New York City where my brother lived. And that there were people out there that knew my brother was gone before I did. And so when Kobe Bryant died in January and I found out that the, the people in Los Angeles were talking about his death before the families of the other people on the helicopter knew, I was really upset and it kind of re-triggered my grief. Um, and we'll talk about my mentoring work and how that has sustained me through these difficulties. But I've had, you know, two really prominent losses in my life. And one, when my mother's passing during a, a challenging time in my life because I was in law school, and then just the murder of someone who you're related to and love, just it doesn't matter what time of your life that happens, that is difficult. Uh, and what I would say, what has sustained me through all of that is a quiet knowing that I'm here for a reason and I'm here for a purpose and that I am not allowed to get off that road, that I must stay on it and that that road will have challenges in it. And it will also have some wonderfully exciting things and great things that happen too. Um, when we talk about balance in our life, there are those who say you can't have the good without the bad. I'd like to think that they're wrong, but my life doesn't really teach me that. So, um, you know, Yes, I understand loss. I understand grief. I think it's perfectly okay to feel whatever feelings you're going to have around it. And certainly in this day and age and what's going on, I think it's appropriate to be angry about it for whatever reason and whoever you might be mad at. I'm not making a point in the finger at anybody. But you can't let it take over. You can't let it run your life. You can say, okay, that happened. It's difficult. I'm going to deal with it, but I am staying on my road and I'm staying on my path. And again, not an easy thing to do, but nevertheless, one that I have chosen, and I'm very glad that I did. I think the other thing that happens when people go through uh, grief um, and shock, and this is certainly being grief and shock, is it has the, the potential to change you as to who you are at your core. Certainly my brother's murder did. But when these things happen to us, if we get off of our road, we have the potential to be changed at our core. And that's a decision that each person must make on their own, based on their own values, their own faith, their own whatever. For me, I had a couple of opportunities in the first few weeks after my brother died and after he was murdered. And one was I was afraid. I was just so afraid walking down the street because I thought somebody was going to attack me. And I kept, I kept, and I still do this, actually, I, I lock the door instinctively now when I go through the back door and I keep not locking Mark out of the house. But I, I became fearful. And I, about a week after Carl died, I was like, you're not going to do this. I made a distinct statement that I will not walk around in fear. I will not live this life in fear. I will not get a weapon. I will not do any of those things because that's not who I am. And if God has other plans for me, then so be it. The other thing was, is that I have um, mentored young people 
Lowell at University of Washington for nearly 20 years, and I've done some work with Gonzaga Law students as well, and you know, happy to help. Um, but I have, starting in around 2009, started taking summer interns. And they haven't been law students because they've been out there fishing, trying to encourage people to go to law school. But it have been student athletes at the University of Washington, like I once was. Now, I was on the swim team for four years. And so I started out mentoring swimmers. And uh, I have a number of women who came to work for me who I am so proud of. Um, one is practicing big time law in New York City. Another went to law school on an academic scholarship. Still another is, um, she is a, a city attorney for a local city. Another is defense counsel here in Seattle. I've worked with uh, young women of color through what is sadly now the disbanded. Um, well, it was... Uh, Oh, the future of the law institute. And what that was is outreach to community of to communities of color to encourage young people of color to enter the law because we need to improve our diversity. Um, and in January of 2015, I got a phone call from a guy named Damon Heward over at the University of Washington. Who, if you're a Husky fan, you would know him to be one of our more prominent quarterbacks. He was on one of the Patriots Super Bowl teams and an all-around nice guy. I kind of know the guy, but I certainly didn't know him then. He calls me up and he says, Cat Clark, which my nickname is Cat. You know, we got a kid here. And uh, Greg Lewis, who's another footballer that I know, uh, played for the Denver Broncos. Sorry, Gonzaga fans. I'm also a Husky fan. Um, Greg Lewis says, you're a lawyer and we got a kid here on the team who's interested in being a lawyer. Would you interview him? Sure. I'd interview him. Delighted. And then Damon says, well, you don't have to hire him. What kind of Husky fan would I be if I didn't hire him? Well, you don't have to pay him. Like, yeah, I got to do that too. But that's okay. I'm looking for an intern. So that young man's name is Hayden Shu, And he has decided against the law, um, which is okay. Um, I don't require anybody to be a lawyer. Come and see what we can teach you about the law and maybe business. And he um, graduated the University of Washington in 2016, attended Cal, where he was an assistant football coach on a team that beat the Huskies, no less. <sighs> that was not good. Um, and he's achieved now a master's in sports administration. He's now an assistant football coach for Montana State over in uh, Bozeman for the Bobcats with Coach Choate, who used to be at the University of Washington. So fast forward now to January 2017. And my, um, the week before my brother died, I sent an email over to Damon. Hey, who's my new intern? This is what I offer. We'd be delighted. Blah, 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 blah. And then Carl died. My brother's name was Carl. In the wake of all of that, I thought to myself, I can't do an internship. I don't have the emotional bandwidth. This is too much for me. And a little voice in my head said, nope, you're going to do it. You're not going to let this change who you are. I said, okay, I'm going to do this. And I would say around February 20th, a young man named Will Disley walked into my office to interview for a job. And I first looked at Mr. Disley and I thought, what is he doing here? Because I told the football team, don't send me the NFL guys. And it seemed pretty obvious to me that Mr. Disley was headed to the NFL. I turned out to be right. He's a tight end now for the Seattle Seahawks. And so interviewing with Will, at the end of it all, I looked at him and I said, well, Mr. Disley, what else can I do for you? He says, well, I have a friend. His name is John Turner. Can he interview for a job here too? Okay, sure. I'll take two. So that summer, I had John Turner and Will Disley as summer interns. 
So Will was drafted in April 2018. John's football career is over, and I'm pleased to say that John is headed to law school this fall. He's been accepted at Gonzaga. We'll see if he accepts the invitation. He hasn't told me yet. And when I went to visit, or I went to Will's draft day party, which was a month after the sentencing hearing from the conviction of the person who was, or the sentencing hearing of the person who was convicted of um, killing my brother. A month later, April 28th, 2018, I went to Bozeman for an NFL draft party because I've never been invited to an NFL draft party. I didn't really do too much of that when I was young or I was on other things. And when do you ever get invited to an NFL draft party, right? And I met the entire Disley family. And after the Seahawks tell Will that they're going to take him and the mimosas are flying and it was really super fun, I smiled and said to Mr. and Mrs. Disley, Will's parents, you know, my family has long Montana roots. And they said, you do? And I said, right. And I showed him my hands, which are clearly Von Tobel hands, for my grandmother, Catherine Von Tobel, for whom I am named. And she was born in a place called Lewistown, Montana, which is in eastern or central eastern Montana. And as it turns out, the Disleys lived a block away from my great-grandparents and my grandmother. And therein lies the lesson about not letting grief change who you are. If I had listened to my grief and it was despair and it was grief, I would never have met Bill Disley. And I would not have had that connection to a part of my family long gone. And I realized then that I was in the care of grace and the care of God when the Disleys were brought to me in my life. And so in the wake of a complete and horrible loss, in a violent way, a huge gift came to me that helped sustain me forward. I now count the Disleys as close friends, and I'm delighted to have them. So when we're dealing with grief and we're dealing with loss, there are other opportunities that appear. This is not to say when one door closes, a window opens, I don't wish to be so cliche about it. But my personal experience of grief and loss is that other things show up. So to the students who are suffering at the moment from grief or loss, be quiet and watch what happens. You will be taken care of. I don't know how, but it will come to you if you let it. So that's my story about grief and loss and what happens with what you do with it. We've been exploring um, the theme of go forth. I think I shared that with you a little bit um, right. in, earlier on. And what that means for our community and what that means for the law and what that means for um, Gonzaga as an institution. And it, it's been interesting to watch the various iterations of that theme. Um, taken from the the go forth and set the world on fire quote um, by St. Ignatius. And um, I think as I was pulling together information and, and talking with people about this theme, your story really struck me as a component of that um, because of your mentorship of students. Um, and, and it's the sharing of knowledge and the empowerment that comes with the work that you're doing, I think is incredibly valuable for our community to know about. Um, not just because of the impact that you have had on people, but what others have had an impact of you. And then oh, yeah. in turn, I think there's that element of sharing 
the value of mentorship um, with our community? Well, I think it's honestly, it's a two-way street, really. I mean, we hear the story of the Disley family with me. Um, but when I was young, um, like Professor Maurice mentored me, Justice Douglas did, not directly, but certainly inspired me. Um, I wouldn't be where I am. I mean, I have my own practice in downtown Seattle. I'm in, I'm in my 29th year of practicing law. I do commercial litigation. I make my money doing real estate cases. And every now and then I take an interesting case on. And what a great blessing, because as a woman, the, com- the practice area that I do is not what we would traditionally think of as a woman lawyer, because women tend to get pigeonholed into certain practice areas, which is not what I do. I wouldn't be here without those who looked out after me and said, here, do this or talk to that person or here, let me show you how to do X, Y, or Z. Um, Even students right now can mentor someone who is younger than they are or in a different, um, in a different um, area. Like you can mentor somebody who's older under the rules of professional conduct. I think it's 1.1 that talks about competence and it says that a young lawyer can be just as competent as an old lawyer in a particular practice area. Age has nothing to do with confidence, particularly. It can in some circumstances, but not on something that you know. And when we talk about the go forth, it is a calling. And I think that's what makes Gonzaga unique is that it is a university that speaks to those who are called, um, whether they know it or not. I certainly didn't know it when I entered Gonzaga, but boy, I left there thinking, yep, I am. And so for me, mentoring is part of what I do. But, you know, in terms of people who want to mentor, you know, maybe you'll get an NFLer. Um, I certainly didn't do it. He's not going to be my only one. Uh, Nick Harris and Trey Adams, who are two big UW football stars who will be drafted next week, are, are uh, interns or mentees of mine. But you never know who you're going to meet. But to me, it's just a wonderful two-way street and that you learn so many things. And, you know, some of the friendships last a lifetime. Others don't. It's okay. The point is, is that you're passing information on, you're helping teach people, um, somebody else, maybe it's a younger person, although I'm at 56 now, so I think it's more young and older for me, um, about something new. And uh, as a Jesuit institution, that's part of the teaching um, directive. I think all of us who attend Jesuit institutions are teachers at our core, one way or another. Um, And it's about that teaching and learning about one another and accepting each other for who and what we are and loving each other as God has commanded us to do. This episode of the All Rise podcast was produced by Gonzaga University School of Law with assistance from our colleagues at Gonzaga Instructional Development and Design. A special thanks goes to our alumni and donors who continue to support our mission of providing an excellent legal education informed by our humanistic, Jesuit, and Catholic traditions and values. Did you enjoy this episode? Let us know. Give us a shout out on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You know the drill. Or you can learn more about this podcast and us at law.gonzaga.edu. Thanks for listening and go Zags.